that's uh, man, so encouraging to worship together, to, to, to sing that together, that the Lord has, when we sang this since we were little kids, sing this with our kids and the children's songs, that the Lord has the whole world in his hands. And uh, what, what a needed reminder that, that we need every day right now, that the Lord is in control of it all, and he's being faithful to us through it all. Well, let's pray one more time and ask the Lord to illumine his word for us. Father, we, we thank you for how you've ministered to us through the singing of your word, the, the reading of your word, the praying to you in response to your word, Lord. And, and now as we open your scriptures, Father, we want to ask that you would bring illumination. We want to ask that you would help us to, to listen with, with ears ready to, to understand and apply and embrace, Lord. We, we ask that there would be fruit from your word in our lives. And Father, we ask that you be glorified and that more and more people, including ourselves, would also find joy in you through what happens here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Fill up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, we're continuing through our series in Ephesians, and, and we are in a three-week stretch right now of Ephesians where we're looking specifically at marriage. Paul is giving instructions to husbands and to wives about how to walk wisely in marriage as we seek to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Now, last week, we, we did part one of this three-week stretch, and to begin uh, our time in marriage, we, we jumped to the end of the passage, and we we looked at the foundations of marriage, how Paul quotes from Genesis 1. We spent some time in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, went into uh, Genesis 3, the Gospel of Matthew, all the way back to Ephesians. And, and we got a big picture framework for marriage. And here's just a summary of what we learned last week about marriage. One, God created marriage. He's the designer of marriage. He created the idea of, of one man and one woman entering a lifelong covenant relationship with each other. And because God created marriage, we can affirm that marriage is good. Marriage, as God defines it, is good. But we also saw that immediately after this beautiful picture of the first marriage, we see the subversion of marriage in the fall. We see that Satan comes to the woman. We see that Adam passively stands by, that she eats the fruit, he eats the fruit, and then God comes to them and, and as marriage has been subverted, God pronounces that from this point on, marriage will be difficult. A wife's desire will be against her husband. He shall rule over her. And, and so even though we know from creation that marriage is good, we also know from the fall that marriage is hard. And, and doesn't that resonate with you who have experienced marriage? Marriage is good and marriage is hard. It's good, it's God's design, it brings joy, it, it, bring, it brings love, but it's also hard because we have sinful natures that, that rail against God's design, and we have an enemy in Satan who attacks God's institution of marriage. It's good and it's hard, but it's not hopeless because God, in Genesis 3, pronounced a seed would come to crush the head of that serpent, to reverse the effects of the curse, and, and this happened when Jesus Christ came he withstood the temptation of Satan, unlike Adam and Eve. He was sinless. He died on a cross for our sins. He rose again. Whoever believes in him receives forgiveness and the empowerment of his Holy Spirit. And that means that now marriage is possible again. It is possible for a husband and a wife to live out God's good design for marriage. It is possible for a husband and a wife to say no to sin and to resist the temptations of Satan and to live out his good design. But finally, we saw 
where Paul ends in Ephesians 5, that marriage is designed from the very start. Marriage was designed to be a picture of something, a living display, a parable of the relationship between Christ and the church, which means that marriage itself is passing. Marriage is not forever. Marriage is an institution that is temporary in this age But when Christ returns, marriage will be behind us and the fulfillment of marriage will be with us forever in Christ and his church. We will separate the marriage supper of the lamb with Christ and the church will forever be his bride. And this is what marriage is pointing to and driving to, which means that marriage in itself is not ultimate, but Christ is ultimate. Christ is the point. So so that's a biblical framework for marriage. It's good, it's hard, it's possible, and it's passing. With that framework in mind, we're now ready to get into the details of Paul's instructions to husbands and wives in Ephesians 5. And so what I want to do first is read through the whole passage again, Ephesians 5, 22-31, and then we will look at Paul's instructions to wives today. So Ephesians chapter 5, we'll read 22-33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, there may be no teaching in the New Testament that is more misunderstood, misrepresented, or maligned than the teaching that a wife is to submit to her husband. The notion that a woman is supposed to submit herself to a man is seen in our culture as archaic and, in some cases, inherently abusive. And this viewpoint that our culture has on a wife's submission is exasperated by Christians who misunderstand, misrepresent, and misuse this instruction. And in doing, they confirm the culture's suspicions that it is archaic and abusive. Because of this, we can be tempted to not fully embrace or live out this teaching ourselves. We can subtly feel like we need to apologize for the Bible's teaching on a wife's submission, and we need to show the world it's not what you think, it's not that bad. However, if we don't understand, embrace, and apply this teaching to our marriages, then we do two things. We reject God, who is the creator of male and female, and the creator of marriage, and we just saw that marriage is good. We reject that. We reject the God who designed marriage, and we also relinquish the opportunity to bear witness to the gospel Submission 
is part of the picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. And if we reject this teaching, then we give up the opportunity to show the world the relationship between Christ and his church. And so the main idea of this sermon is simple. It's directed to wives primarily, but it's important for all of us to understand what this passage teaches in the culture we live in. The main idea of this sermon is out of worship to God and for the sake of witness to Christ, wives should submit to their husbands. Out of worship to God and for the sake of witness to Christ, wives should submit to their husbands. Now, in order to be as thorough this morning as possible, as clear as possible, understanding the, the, the cultural um, yeah, m- m- misunderstandings and, and, and the cultural just pushback to submission, I want to structure this morning's sermon around five questions and answers related to this passage. Five questions and the scriptural answers to these questions so that we understand and can embrace and apply this passage as the church. So so five questions about a wife's submission from verses 22 through 24 of Ephesians 5. First, simple question. Who is called to submit to who? Who is called to submit to who? Now, when you first read the text, I hope you see that the answer is abundantly clear. Wives, submit to your own husbands. But it's not that clear to everybody. And so let's understand some Uh, misunderstandings, misinterpretations, false interpretations that that people give in response to this question. Who is called to submit to who? First, popular false interpretations. Not, it's not wives and husbands to one another. There are some that teach that Ephesians 5 tells us wives and husbands should submit to one another. Now where do they get that? We'll look at Ephesians 5.21. The very end of the passage before, right before wives met your husband, says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so there are some interpreters who take that verse 21 as a heading that describes the relationship between a man and a woman in marriage. That above and beyond it all, there, there, there is a submission to one another first, and then Paul specifically addresses a wife's submission, but that does not mean that she's the only one who submits. There's, they, they argue that there's a submission to one another that comes above that from verse 21. The problem with that is, is that whole passage, that whole section is addressing the church in corporate worship. The context is to the church, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks to God, submitting to one another. This is all describing corporate worship. This is describing the gathered church submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ as the Word is taught and explained and encouraged and admonished. And we know from other passages, even in the church, there is, there is authority and there are relationships and, and there, there is is distinction between men and women. And so this argument is a way that people try to get around that fact that wives are called to submit, but it does not stand up to the context in Ephesians 5. This does not mean that wives and husbands should submit to each other. It also does not mean that all women should submit to all men. This passage does not teach that all women should submit to all men. Scripture speaks clearly to male headship in the home, and in the church. After that, Scripture does not speak as directly or clearly to headship in every other sector of life. And so this passage does not teach that every single woman is to be subject to every single man in every sector of society. 
This does not teach that males are dominant and females are inferior in, in every way. No, that's this not what this passage is teaching. It is not speaking to all women and to all men. Also, again, this might go without saying, but I've seen it enough to know that we need to say it. This is not speaking to girlfriends and boyfriends. The practice of dating wasn't even around when Ephesians was written, but, but again, I've seen this time and time again in Christian teenagers, in college students, who are serious about the Lord, serious about following Christ, maybe a little too serious. <laughs> it's important when you're dating to gauge whether this person, this, whether this girl will be a godly, submissive wife, whether this guy will be a godly husband who leads me. But, but you don't gauge that by acting it out in the dating relationship, do you? You, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't gauge that by saying, we're, we're just going to pretend like we're married. The best way to gauge that is by looking at how the other one conducts themselves in the church and in the home. If you're going to date them, parents, leave that to you to talk about that. But if you're going to date, then, then, then do that with your parents' guidance. But, but look at how they conduct themselves in the church and in the home. Do you see submissiveness? Do you see leadership? Do you see servanthood? These are the qualities that you should see and, and take note of. But to try to live it out for a, for a boyfriend to, to act like he is the authority of his girlfriend, or for a girlfriend to come home to her, her dad and say, but my, but my boyfriend told me to do this. Like, you get out of here, right, <laughs> if you say that. No, that, that is not who this passage is speaking to. Who is called to submit to who? Well, just like it says, wives, submit to your own husbands. This instruction is applied specifically to the partners of the marriage covenant. The wife, the woman who has entered into a lifelong covenant union with a man as both his equal and his helper, is called to submit to her own husband. I want to make that clear. She is both his equal and his helper. Submission is not because she is inferior to him. It's because she has a distinct role to play in the marriage, which God gave in Genesis 2, that she is to be the helper of her husband. But this is the relationship. Wives, submit to your husbands. This is who this instruction applies to. Not all women generally. Not boyfriends and girlfriends. Not men and women mutually, but wives to your own husbands. Now, second question. Then. That was the first question. Who is called to submit to who? Second question, what does it mean for a wife to submit? What does it mean for a wife to submit? And again, I want to answer this with a couple of negative answers first. What well, submission is not. Submission is not the same as childlike obedience. All right? So when you think about the word submit, what does the word itself mean? Every word has a range of meaning, and, and, and the word submit can mean obey. And, and, and in many ways, it does mean obey. Yet, we see a distinction in translation here from wives submit, which picks up on verse 21, to later in the passage, chapter 6, verse 1, children obey your parents in the Lord. And that distinction is important. There's a reason that that translational distinction is there because the husband-wife relationship is not the same as the parent-child relationship. They're very different. And what, what's, the, what's the primary way we know this? Well, in his instructions to parents and to fathers, he says, teach your children what is right. Children, obey your parents. And fathers, if your children disobey you, what should you do? Discipline them in the Lord. Now, husbands, if your wife does not submit to you, what should you not do? should not attempt to discipline your wife. We're not instructed to discipline our wives, which shows that there's a completely different dynamic going on 
in a wife's submission than a child's obedience. There's a different relationship. It is not the same as a child's obedience. At the same time, it is not silent servitude. It is not silent servitude. Wives are not slaves to their husbands. Husbands and wives live in a complementary relationship. Again, he is the head, she is the helper. She is not the slave to her husband. She is allowed to speak. She is allowed to share her thoughts. She, she, she is part of the relationship. It is complementary, working together, and yet there is an authority structure in place, but it's not silent servitude. So what is it then? What does it mean to submit? Here's a definition for you. Submission is a respectful and voluntary yielding to the authority of another. A respectful and voluntary yielding to the authority of another. I want to touch first the authority of another. Submission recognizes authority. Submission recognizes that, that there is an authority structure in place. Second, submission involves voluntarily yielding to that authority. It is not coerced. It is not forced. It is a voluntary thing on the wife's part. But then also it is respectful. And I want you to notice in verse 33 of our passage, as Paul sums up his instructions to husbands and wives, he says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Notice he doesn't say that she submits to her husband. He says that she respects her husband. That's because respect is part and parcel of submission. And this is where I believe that we can grow, generally speaking, in terms of what our submissive relationships look like in our marriages, is that they are done voluntarily and lovingly and with respect. With respect. So I was asking Candace earlier, what are some ways that you can communicate respect, that wives can communicate respect to their husbands in submission. And there's a few things we, we talked about. One, just seeing what your husband thinks before you make a decision. So just, just calling or texting and asking, what do you think about this before it's going on? That, that, that shows respect for the authority of your husband. Uh, maybe there's a disagreement in place. Instead of arguing your case, instead of, instead of arguing back, ask questions. Ask questions. Why do you feel that way? Help me understand. Uh, eagerly allowing your husband to lead and set the tone. It's just true that some wives have a more dominant personality than their husbands. So, so you wives have a more dominant personality. Find ways to eagerly let your husband know, I want you to lead. I'm following you. I, I, I'm ready for you to set the tone in our family, in our marriage. And then just showing appreciation to him for his leadership thanking him and encouraging him and telling him that it means something to her. This is what submission is, a respectful and voluntary yielding to the authority of another. Now, now the question comes, why? Why is a wife to submit to her husband? Again, let's answer in the negative first. Not because a husband is smarter. Because we know we aren't. We aren't. It's not because a husband is smarter. It's not because a husband is stronger, though it's true that men are generally physically stronger than their wives, but it's not always true, and that's not the reason. It's not because a husband is more spiritual. It's not, it's not that, that headship switches when the wife is more spiritual. That's not why a wife is to submit to her husband. Why then? The reason a wife is to submit to her husband is stated in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, 
even as Christ is the head of the church. This is why a wife is to submit to her husband, because God has designed marriage and God has given headship to the husband. Now, we need to remember, marriage is God's picture of the gospel. God designed it originally. Paul says that that when God designed marriage in Genesis 2, it referred to Christ and the church from that very original place. And so God has placed husbands as the heads of their wives as a demonstration of Christ's headship over the church. This is God's design. And so we need to think then, when we're talking about headship, what does it mean that Christ is the head of the church? We are the church. What does it mean that Christ is our head? It really means two things. One, it means he has authority over the church. Christ is our authority. He is our leader. We follow him. He is our king. He is our Lord. He gives instructions and we follow him. He has authority. Yeah, it also means, amazingly, that Christ is responsible to care for the church. When Christ gave himself for us and made us his bride, Christ took on the responsibility to care for us as his body. Ephesians 5, next week's passage, is going is to show this more, all the ways that Christ cares for his church. But the reality is that Christ, as the authority over the church, has taken on the responsibility to care for us, to, to, to love us, to nourish us, to protect us, to cherish us. And so a Christ's authority is authority for the church, to serve the church, to care for the church. What does that mean for a husband? What does it mean for a husband to be the head, the head of his wife? It means, husband, you have authority over your wife, but that authority is with a responsibility to care for your wife. You're responsible for her as if you were responsible for your own body, to protect her, to love her, to care for her. It's it's authority that pursues the highest good of the one under you. It's authority that serves. You know, husbands, we, we can go wrong on two fronts here. One is we, we, we can be authoritarian and, and we use our authority harshly and for our own ends to serve ourselves. We, we see our wives as, as they are here for me to serve me or we just become passive and we don't lead at all and we, and we relinquish our authority. We act, we act like we are not the head, but we still are. Whether you are a passive husband or not, you are the head either way before God. And so we need to understand and repent of being authoritarian with our wives or being passive toward our wives. And we need to instead use our authority that God has given us to serve our wives, to pursue their highest good. We're going to see more about what this looks like next week, but but husbands, just understand you are the head of your wife. You have authority in your marriage, and you are to use it to care for her. Wives, understand that your husband is the head of your marriage. This is a God-ordained reality, and it is for your good. This is why you are to submit. Now, let's get a little practical here. To what extent is a wife to submit to her husband? To what extent is a wife to submit to her husband? And again, we have a few false notions here. Um, One would, would say that submission applies only when there's unanimity. In other words, only when the wife agrees with her husband should a wife submit to her husband. Now, you've got to see the problem with that, right? If a wife only submits when she agrees, that's not submission. That's just doing what the wife wants to do, right? On the other hand, submission, some would say, applies unilaterally. Whatever the husband says goes. It doesn't matter what the wife thinks. 
That's also wrong. I'm going to show you why. Both of those views are, are not biblical views of submission. This passage teaches us a principle. We need to see it for ourselves. Verse 24, look at this first. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. All right, let's think about what he just says. As the church submits to Christ, how does the church submit to Christ? How should we, the church, submit to Christ? In everything. If Christ says it, we follow. We do not resist. We do not disobey. We should follow Christ in everything because he is our head and he loves us and he's pursuing our good and we submit to him in everything. In the same way, Paul says, wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now that sounds unilateral, doesn't it? That sounds all-encompassing. Whatever the husband says, wife, you do it. Now, now that's, we, we need that building block to understand that, that submission is sweeping. Submission covers a lot of territory. In everything is what he says. Yet, yeah, look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord. That's so important to see that. As to the Lord locates a wife's submission to her husband inside a greater submission to Christ. It tells us that a wife's submission to her husband is not ultimate, but it is taking place underneath her submission to Christ. Christ is her Lord, not her husband. And so a wife submits to her husband in everything unless that submission requires her to sin against Christ. That is the principle of submission biblically. A wife submits to her husband in everything unless that submission requires her to sin against Christ. And church, we should just stop here and notice that this is the principle for all of our relationships where we are called to submission. In the church, in marriage, in government, when we are called to submit, as believers, we are called to submit in everything unless it requires us to disobey Christ. And that's important to understand, especially in our day and age right now. We submit in everything unless we are being asked to sin against Christ. And this is the principle for a wife. You submit to your husband in everything, understanding that the one limitation is if it would cause you to sin against Christ himself. He is your Lord. So let's put some examples to this then. Should a wife submit to her husband's decision about whether to move or not? Say the family is thinking about moving. There's disagreement. The husband finally decides we should move. The wife disagrees. Should a wife submit? The answer is yes. In almost every case, now, now there are exceptions to all of these. You could give me a scenario where it's, well, no, not in that case. But by and large, let's say there's, no, there, there's nothing saying that this is going to cause the wife to sin. She disagrees with it, but she's not going to have to sin against Christ to, to do it. Yes, she should submit to her husband, even in disagreement. Again, if you only submit when you agree, that's not submission. It's just doing what you want to do. So yes, if there's a disagreement, but it's not causing you to sin, you should submit. Now what about this? Should a wife submit to her husband's decision that she should not take her children to church on Sundays? No, she should not submit to that. Why? Because Christ's will is for her and her children to go to church and to attend worship and to be under the word, and she can say no to that request. She ought to say no. She must say no because she is submitting to Christ. Now that example is pretty clear. 
Uh, and it leads to even a greater question, doesn't it? That, that what about an unbelieving husband? Should a wife submit to an unbelieving husband? Well, I need to look at 1 Peter 3 with me for just a moment. 1 Peter chapter 3 answers this question straightforwardly for us. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Should a wife submit to an unbelieving husband? Yes. Even if some do not obey the word, they might be won by a wife's submission. They might be won over to Christ by seeing a consistent example of you submitting in respect and purity and love to your husband. So again, when should you not submit if that husband is asking you to sin against Christ? But in all other ways, even if he's an unbeliever, yes, wife, you're called to submit to him. Now this one is the heaviest of them all. Should a wife submit to an abusive husband? This is the charge of our culture, is that submission leads to abuse. If you haven't heard it, you need to know that's just what the culture believes. Submission leads to abuse. And we need to understand that there was no abuse before the fall. God's good design of marriage, which included headship and submission, did not include abuse. Abuse comes after the, the wife's desire becomes contrary to her husband. The husband harshly rules. It's the result of sin. And so we want to state that, that, that God's good design of headship and submission does not lead to abuse. Sin leads to abuse. Now, should a wife submit to an abusive husband? No. Again, I want to say that, that there are, are, are a million examples of, of, of what might be happening in a home, and so this is just an overarching answer to this question. But no, a wife should not submit to an abusive husband and here's what she should do instead. She should hold him accountable to those who are in authority over him. She should hold him accountable to those who are in authority over him, which includes one or two possible entities, the church and or the state. If it's a believing marriage, the husband is a believer, then the church, in this case, she can ask the church to help. The church should notify authorities as is right, and then rightly administer the process of church discipline. And I want to say also the church needs to understand that the principle of caring for widows and orphans would apply in this situation. To, to care for that wife, to care for that family, to protect them in that situation. And then the state has the God-given authority to punish evil like abuse in the home. And this is why the church is so important for this, because what is the wife going to do if she's dependent on her husband and he's gone? The church needs to take care of someone like that, needs to protect someone like that. But, but a wife should not submit to an abusive situation. She should hold her husband accountable to the authorities over him that he must submit to. And husbands, you need to know that you are ultimately, we are ultimately accountable to Christ for how we treat our wife and our children. He will hold us accountable. So if there is any inch of abusiveness in your home, you'll be held accountable for it. You need to confess it, not only to your family, but to your, your, your leaders. You need to seek help. You need to embrace the consequences of it and have a clear conscience before Christ.
I want to give a few just words of counsel on the larger issue of, 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 of submission and, and should you submit or not submit and, and those types of conversations where decisions are being made. Husbands, you are called to lead, but you need to remember that your wife is your helper. Your wife is your helper. So, so let's take that first example. I'm not saying that could never happen, but, but something as big as a move and as, as, a, as a, a change of life, if, if, if you aren't talking to your wife about that and listening to her and seeking her counsel and guidance, and you're just making that decision unilaterally, no matter what she thinks, you're being foolish. She's your helper. Listen to her. Pray with her. Work with her. Let God guide you both in a decision like that. Lead, make decisions, but understand that she's your helper. And then wives, if you are not sure, if you hear that principle, submit unless it's sin, and you're not sure in a specific situation if you should submit or not, maybe your conscience is affected by what's being asked of you, then just seek counsel. Seek counsel from another woman. Seek counsel from a leader. But seek counsel in that situation. Be ready to submit to your husband as long as it does not cause you to, to sin against Christ. Finally, church, but fifth question, how can a wife submit to her husband? How can a wife submit to her husband? Here's the reality. Genesis 3.16 tells us, your desire shall be against your husband. Every single wife, this is true of you, because of the fall, because of our sinful natures, you do not want to submit to your husband. That is true of every wife at some level. You do not want to. Your desire is against your husband because of your sin. And so where does the power for submission come from? You might agree with all of that on paper, and yet in the moment your desire is against your husband because of your sinful nature. Where does the power to say no to sin and yes to Christ, and in that yes to your husband, come from? It comes from remembering that your submission to your husband is part of your submission to Christ. You need to remember that what's happening here horizontally is a reflection of what is happening between you and Christ vertically. You might be thinking, wives, I would submit to my husband if he was a better husband. And that may be true to some extent. Maybe if your husband was more loving, more sacrificial, if he took better care of you, it might be easier for you to submit to him. However, that's not ultimately what this is about. This is not about your husband. This is about you and Christ. That's what your submission is about. It's about the kind of Savior Christ is, not the kind of man that your husband is. Notice what Paul says again in verse 23 about Christ. Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. In the verse 25, which we'll see next week, we see Christ loved the church and gave himself up for you. Wife, that's you he's talking about. Christ is your head. Christ is your Savior. Christ loved you and gave himself for you. And this is the one who is giving you the instruction to submit to your husband. And so if you are a wife and you are not submitting to your husband, then you are also a church member not submitting to Christ. That's just true. And if you aren't submitting to your husband, then you aren't trusting Christ. Think about it. You're not trusting his love for you. You're not trusting that he will protect you. You're not trusting that he has a good plan for you. You're not trusting all of his promises to you. You're not trusting that he's being good to you. You're not trusting that his instruction to submit to your husband is for your good. But he gave himself for you. He loves you. you are, he cares for you as his own body. 
And so when submission is hard, when submission is difficult, because no husband is worthy of a wife's submission, but Christ is worthy of your submission, and Christ has given you this instruction. So fix your eyes on Christ, entrust yourself to him, and submit to him by following his instruction to submit to your husband's. In a culture that sees submission in such a negative light, I want to close by speaking about the influence of a submissive wife. The, the beautiful, positive influence of a submissive wife. Let's consider the influence of a submissive wife on her husband. Now, I've been blessed to be married to a wife that for nine years now has respectfully and voluntarily submitted to me as her husband. And it's not because I have been a good husband through it all. I have failed. I have argued. I have been mopey. I have been lazy. And yet my wife has continued to submit to me and respect me and support me. Why? Over the years, the answer becomes clearer and clearer. It's not because of me at all. It's because of Christ. Because she's worshiping Christ. It's because she wants to reflect the beauty of the church submitting to Christ. And what does that do for me as a husband? What's the influence of that on me as a husband? It draws my heart to Christ. And it draws my heart to want to be like that as a church member in my relationship with Christ. It helps me to see I want to submit to Christ the way my wife submits to me. Because he is worthy. Consider the influence of a submissive wife on her children. Children, from the very beginning of their lives, have a a nature that resists obedience to loving authority. Yet they are called to understand and submit to loving authority. But if they never see it played out in the home, how will they learn it? Yet a submissive wife, though it's different than a child's relationship, she still exemplifies to her children that she can trust Christ and entrust herself to her husband and display loving, uh, 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 the submission to loving authority in the home. And this teaches the children that God is trustworthy, that Christ is trustworthy, and hopefully that the Father is trustworthy. Consider the influence of a submissive wife in her church. As the church sees a wife submitting to her husband, following her husband, what encouragement this gives to a younger married lady who is just learning submission. What encouragement this should give to someone who is struggling to submit or to someone who is not sure about submission. This, this, this provides opportunities for discipleship and for, for growth and to point people to Christ and say, I do it because of Christ. And consider the influence of a submissive wife in the unbelieving world. The world thinks that submission is abusive. What would they think if they saw a wife submitting with joy and gladness, and happiness, voluntarily yielding herself and following. And and they ask, why? Why do you do this? And she says, it's because of Christ. It's because he loves me. He gave himself for me. He he, he takes care of me. He made his promises to me, and he's worthy of my life. It's all about magnifying Jesus, church. This is all about magnifying him. That's the point of marriage. That's the point of submission. He loves you. He gave himself for you. He is trustworthy. And so let's walk wisely in headship and in submission in our marriages. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and and we ask, Lord, that you would help us to apply this teaching very specifically to our marriages. Help us to apply the broader principles of trust and submission to, to all of our lives. 
Lord, we pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on Christ. And, and, and Christ, right now, we want to remember that you yourself placed yourself in submission to your Father. And you prayed in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. And you died on the cross for our sins out of love for us. And Lord, we want to magnify you. We want to glorify you. We pray that you would help us, help, help wives to voluntarily, respectfully submit because that is what we want to do as the church. Lord, help us as husbands to, to lovingly lead our wives toward Christ. And we pray you would shepherd our hearts in all of this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.